coming up, we are a little bit later uh, than usual this week with our weekly wrap-up, um, but it was still another fascinating weekend, of course, in the A-League men. A lot of different uh, talking points for sure. Definitely two main ones which we do get to in this podcast. So as a brief kind of introduction to give everyone an idea of what's going to be in the pod, we discuss, of course, Nestoria and Kunda's red card and the whole situation with Alex King on uh, on Saturday night in the original rivalry. Then we moved and discussed uh, Sydney FC. And a quick caveat to that discussion was this podcast uh, coming up was recorded on Sunday night. So only releasing today on Wednesday, um, but that was recorded on Sunday night. And then, of course, Steve Corriger uh, has left Sydney FC since then uh, yesterday. Of course, that news was announced. So just a caveat with that conversation, although I think a lot of the points discussed in there will, will uh, still be relevant. Um, and then we also discuss Wellington because they've made an excellent start to the season and, uh, you know, we've got to give Wellington some love. So, yeah, and we uh, we finish with our big questions as always. So, another great weekend in the A-League men. A lot of fascinating talking points. A lot of shenanigans, as usual, on this podcast. So, uh, stick around. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. Another exciting weekend of A-League Men action. And as always, I'm here, joined by a few members of the Front Page Football team to review it all. Tonight, I've, uh, I'm have i relieved. I've been able to change two of the uh, the three members that I had joining me uh, joining me in the last two weeks uh, and, uh, and abusing me um, for apparently my lack of direction when it came to these podcasts, which was, uh, you know, very, very disappointing. Jack Holub's still here, but we're joined by Matt Olson and Jack Tuhill instead of Cody and Antonis because, uh, they're being annoying and they can take a week off pretty much. So anyway, uh, <laughs> joined by Matt Olson, Jack Holub and Jack Tuhill. Boys, how are we going? Let's start with Matt because. Matt is been on our dub cast, as I like to call it, or front page dub. But uh, it's been a while since he's been on this podcast. And uh, Matt, I, I, I believe you've got some fans on social media somewhere who were calling for your your return on this podcast. I, I think I saw a comment somewhere. Or yeah, that's uh, that's Lukey Gibbons, who is a marathon runner from Newcastle. Um, he is mates with uh, Jackson, who I know from uh, the Jets community. And uh, he was obviously just uh, stirring us up a bit in the uh, Facebook comments. So good on him, and shout out to uh, Lukey Gibbons. Hey, listen, uh, no one's no one's demanded for me to come back on the podcast before, so uh, well also, done. Just, yeah. just before we finish this intro- introduction, can I say how in- incessantly rude it is of Cody and Antonis? I returned from international duty. I'm going to make a big appearance back on the men's men's A League pod, mm. and they fuck off. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. Look, it was. Me, Matt, Antonis, Cody became that regular kind of quartet throughout last season. Um, but then obviously, you know, uh, yeah, those two have become, um, you know, um, very, what, what would you call divisive probably in the last two weeks. So, uh, yeah, they just, they've just been dropped by the, uh, by the management, um, for, for a week. Um, anyway, <laughs> let's, let's move on because we could seriously sit here and do this all night. Um, Jack Tuhill joins us as well. His first pot of the season. Jack, how are we going? I'm going good, and I was aware that I was the biggest Matt Olsen fan in Newcastle, but, it, uh, uh, you know, it looks like I've been overtaken, which is just 
you know, really upsetting um, considering how much I love um, Matt's enthusiasm on the pod. But other than that, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. Just went through a two-hour drive home in the wet um, with my tail firmly between my legs <laughs> after my favorite team dropped a 2-0 lead. So that's great. Um, <laughs> but I just had a cheese toasty and cheese toasties make everything feel better. Yeah, and... um. Jack also, I can't believe because Jack also forgot his uh, media accreditation for the for the Newcastle game today. Well, uh, well done to uh, well done to Jack. Um, all right, finally, let's get these intros over and done with. Jake, Jake joins us again after the last two weeks. Jake, uh, are you looking forward to being joined by uh, two different people today? Oh well, it, it seems like I'm basically just the biggest kiss ass that I've actually kept. Um, kept my spot on the on the roster, and the others been dropped. So I don't know what to think about that. But I'm, I'm to, to be fair, you you probably like watch the most. I would say like every single game excruciate. It, it it feels like it anyway from the outside looking in. I don't know if you can confirm or or deny that. So I, I feel like you're always well positioned to uh to you know give the uh the right maybe commentary or analysis. Yeah, I, I don't really have a life to be honest. I, I basically just watch every single A-League game. Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to be real. Um, partly, to be fair, it is also because, you know, like I work for EA, you know, I need, I need to be on top of, you know, sort of everything. Oh, whoa, whoa, so, whoa, so whoa. It comes out I mean, early today. Just, I work for EA. Just straight away flexed it. Um, you know, but, you know, if, if, if you guys want a good FIFA game, then, you know, you're relying on me to watch the EA game. So EAFC. It's not FIFA. What, what's, what's Whoa. I'm, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's gotten fired. <laughs> He's broken the memorandum of understanding. This is this is this is unreal. EAFC twenty four. Sorry, but uh, yeah, oh, no, I had, had a really really good weekend. Um, I attended my first game um, as a league credited media, which was just fucking awesome. Um, so thank you for that, Donny. I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Let's just you know, and, and enough yapping for me, I reckon. Yeah, very cool. Actually, just just quick shout out to you, Jake, because you asked probably. One of the one of the more you know anticipated press conferences, or two of the more anticipated press conferences, post match press conferences of the season so far, after what we saw on Saturday night in the original rivalry, and you asked both coaches three questions. So not bad on a uh, on a press conference debut. I think I was telling you I did not ask a question in a press conference till about six, probably my sixth one or something like that. So yeah, takes uh, takes time. Anyway. Uh, enough of the intros. Let's get <laughs> to let's get into actually the football. So as we've been doing in these in these um, first couple of weeks of the season, going through our talking points to begin with from the round. So given that Matt is finally back on the podcast, I think it's only right that we start with him. So Matt, what's your kind of three main uh, discussion points? I guess from from the weekend. Yeah, look, I think we have to start with uh, what I would consider the elephant in the room. There actually are quite a few across the competition. I think just addressing the, the state of Sydney FC, you know, I've been quite quite consistent on this podcast uh, within our organisation for, for literally years now that um, Sydney FC are going through a stale period and they need change. And I just cannot reflect on whether at now we're having scored zero goals from three games without really touching on the fact that, you know, I've been I've been calling for this for a while. And, you know, it's not like they're going to be a bottom club. I think they'll bounce back. I think, you know, they're, they're well within their rights to go on and, and have a finals race in the, you know, 20 plus weeks that are left. But you just have to be frustrated, um, with that start and, uh, and really a lot of the going on there that, uh, that changes something that they're reluctant to for, for whatever reason. The second, I think it's a bit of an interesting one, um, in that the Wanderers, they've been able to have this really dominant 5-0 result over Western. 
and their start to the game against the Jets, as clinical as they were, was, was pretty disgusting, if we're being honest. And I think the one thing you have to ask with the Wanderers is, why can't they be consistent? They're almost consistently inconsistent. Um, season in, season out, they're really struggling to sort of take that next step. And it was something that we saw with, with Adelaide for a little while. From, you know, And we've seen a lot of teams go through this, uh, where they just uh, they'll be solid enough to be a finals team, but they, they're missing that next big step. And we're not sure where it's where it's going with the Wanderers at the moment. Um, and that's definitely worth a bit more of an in-depth um, touch on. But uh, the big thing for me, I'll be releasing a piece uh, on this soon, as you know, Christian. Um, Mark Jackson, I uh, had a chat with him last night um, after the loss to True Glory. And um, I think the big thing there was just that he he was already sort of in denial about things. He was already dejected. And it's like you're three games into the season. You know, he's, he's saying, logically and, and on face value, I have a lot of belief in the squad, but clearly something's missing. We can't score goals. And it's like, you shouldn't be saying that three three games into the season. And also, lacking goals, you scored eight in the AFC Cup, Mark. So, like, why giving why are you giving us such negative signs at the moment? Um it's not like we're going sort of Mariners crisis mode at the moment, but that's something that, that really needs a, a, a tough look at. Yeah, yep. Very, uh, very interesting. Of course, we covered the Mariners. Uh, that was one of our deep dives last week. Uh, if you want to hear, I guess, more of our thoughts on them at the moment. Uh, Jack, what about you? Well, um, being the, I suppose, the sub-in um, Optimus in place of Cody Ajada, I've gone for a little bit of a lighter view of every single game of this round. Um, first thing I want to touch on is uh, Champions Elect question mark. Um, that is the big sort of headline with both the Central Coast Mariners and Sydney FC sitting at the foot of the table after both clinching silverware, you know, within the last six to eight months. And me being the agent of chaos I am, I'm absolutely loving it. I think it's peak A-League and I just want it to continue because I like to see the world burn. Um <laughs> Uh, there's no other analysis I can make from that. Uh, secondly, I don't know. Um, I don't know how to address that. <laughs> there is no rebuttal, and that's the way I like it. Uh, secondly, uh, Macarthur FC, their form in the last three games has been quite incredible. With the backing it up with a one-nil victory over Western United, um, could Macarthur go on to make a finals berth and also maybe smash it through attendance records in the process? You know, are they going to build any momentum? out of their form on the pitch. And the I suppose the, the third big talking point is um, A-League refs are in favour of bullying kids, um, I suppose, because <laughs> with, uh, the, <laughs> with the lack of fouls being called on Nestor Irukunda in the original rivalry and uh, his reaction, it, it seems to me that uh, uh, A-League referees are, um, you know, making sure that, Whatever youngsters are coming through, they are built strong. So those are my three big talking points from round three. Jesus. All right. Some, uh, <laughs> some strong language there, uh, which, uh, I'm sure, yeah, as a little, little preview, we are going to talk, of course, about, uh, about what happened on Saturday. So, uh, I'm sure, Jack, you can probably open the floor when we, uh, when we get to that. Um, Jake, what about you? Yes. So my first point was on Brisbane Raw. I said promising, but not there yet. I think. They've shown a lot of promise, especially going forward, but I think a lot of the doubts I probably had in the back of my mind, especially defensively, I think really sort of showed in that sort of demolition mm. in the end it was by Wellington 5-2. Uh, then I had uh, Victory Adelaide. What a game. What more needs to be said? Like, you know, I, I think you all watched it. I think mm. you all saw. Obviously, we're going to discuss that a little bit later. 
what a game. Um, and then Newcastle, uh, good, but again, just not quite good enough. I think in all their performances so far, I think they've shown some good promise to be, you know, maybe a little bit of a surprise this season, but they've maybe just not got the, the results, you know, the victory game, you know, arguably could have got more from that. And then obviously today they, you know, lost it, you know, quite late. Um, obviously still got the point, but yeah, maybe a little unlucky, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm going to quickly do my points because I really want to get into this, uh, into this red card discussion. Um, so on the flip side of what you said about Brisbane, I'm actually going to focus on Wellington and say, I mean, okay, Wellington, because, Let's be honest, and we can all put our hands up here. None of us were high on Wellington going into the season, um, Matt, famously. Um, but, <laughs> you know, um, I think, yeah, we saw some signs there of actually a team which maybe through, we mentioned, I've, I've written about continuity already, speaking about Adelaide United, and maybe Wellington kind of are fitting into that trend a little bit too. So a stunning win for them. Um, but we'll have to see, of course, whether that continues. Um, Jake, on par with you with the original rivalry. Um, just for pure entertainment standpoint, I mean, you, you honestly couldn't go wrong. That was absolutely fantastic. Um, and we saw the North Terrace was full. We saw, uh, as usual, a really strong Adelaide Travelling Bay. Um, and we saw, um, you know, obviously controversial moments, which we're going to get to in a second, but then some really good performances, I think, as well, um, and some good football. So, you know, it wasn't one of those games, I think, that was totally ruined by the controversy or anything like that, because I still think for you know, 85 or so minutes of it, you know, the football was the focus. So really good stuff there. And then finally, going off what Matt said, it has to be Sydney FC. Um, never, I believe, started with three uh, consecutive losses to start a season, uh, four straight losses in the league now. Uh, if you go back to the second leg against Melbourne City uh, last year, uh, without scoring as well. Um, and I, yeah, we're going to get into them a little bit later too, but I'm kind of, uh, on par with what Matt's saying as well about they they just need something different. Um, so I'm sure we'll get to that later. All right, let's start with what happened on Saturday night because it's been there's been much much discourse uh, um, amongst the I guess soccer Twitter brigade on this um, and elsewhere, and uh, I think we have to address it. So Jack, you're going to start because you use the line <laughs> A League referees. Are bullying kids essentially, um, which I said they they're in favour of bullying kids. <laughs> okay, okay, which I feel it's pertinent for me to just just warn you about. You know what 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 language maybe you're going to use here, um, but we're kind of getting a sense of where you're coming in with this angle, and I'm not sure maybe if everyone agrees. Obviously, I think everyone there seems to be a lot of discourse that um, there needs to be more protection for players like Nestoria and Kunda, um, but. I think there is some people also saying um, that you know, you know, it was a rightful sending off because of his because re- uh, of his reaction and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I'm sure if we if we did have have Antonis on here tonight, you could give a bit more of a background into Nesta and his background, kind of at MPL level with that sort of stuff. But I want you to start what because the way you talked makes it sound like this isn't an isolated incident. So I, I want you to kind of delve a little bit deeper into that. Well, I'm going to go back to Serious Jack now to discuss this because it is, you know... You should, you should always be Serious Jack when you come onto this podcast. <laughs> uh, I made no such agreement. Um, <laughs> but I am going to be serious about this because I did, you know, say a tweet. And in my tweet, I wholeheartedly believe in the sending off. And the sending off was an appropriate action for the reaction that Nestori gave. On the contrary to that, I think that ever since... 
Nestor sort of stepped into the league, he has had a target on his back. When he is fouled, he's fouled hard. And that is just sort of, I suppose, classic, you know, welcome to first grade sort of defending. And and also, really, one of the only ways you can stop the kid. I mean, have you seen his feet? He's quick as lightning and he can control the ball, you know, like it's on a string. There's There's no really other way you can stop him by either winning the ball before he even gets it or fouling him. And, you know, I think that it isn't an isolated, inst- um, isolated incident, sorry, mince my words there, but I think I've seen it a few times where um, Nestor is played and it's probably a little bit more pernient now that he's starting and getting more minutes that he is getting fouled hard. And I think that, you know, obviously without knowing the kid and, and without actually having spoken to him, the frustration is starting to show. And, you know, that that sort of reaction shows the bit of a temperament of, of someone who's, you know, not as mature in the professional game as other players out there. And that maturity will grow. And, and I'm, you know, really excited to see that grow and to see him as, you know, a fully esteemed professional and the, and the things that he could do with his career. Um, but, you know, when, when you don't get the, you know, I suppose the calls and you don't, don't get all the fouls you think you deserve, there's, there's really no, no reason to be reacting like that. It can incise up on the pitch. I mean, it, it's, you know, when your team's, you know, sort of drawing 1-1, one, one, you playing 11 against 10, you know, Adelaide had the one-man advantage there. Reacting like that and getting yourself sent off is, you know, hurtful to your side's chances of going on and winning the match. Um, Matt, <clears throat> when Jack <laughs> when Jack uh, mentioned his bullying comment, you had a very very interesting look on your face. So I want I want you to uh, maybe offer some sort of if there is a rebuttal of any sort or uh, or whether you're in agreement. Just uh, give your thoughts, I guess, on on what you saw. Um, it's actually very difficult for me because I was covering the Glory game thereafter. I didn't Fair watch enough. the game. Yep. I haven't actually seen. But yep. obviously, Jack's, Jack's strong language on something like this is is you know warranted. And I guess when you look at, uh, at Nesta's career, right, he's someone that is really due for a lot of stardom and somewhere really mm. far to go in his career, especially for his age. And I think that um, you know, it's not just a football thing. In in all elements of sport, when someone is a, a young and exceptional talent. Their behavior and their erratic behavior is something that is a very common theme with that. Um, and I think that we, we, we ought to look at this, you know, in, in a little bit further depth, but I honestly can't comment that much because I was covering mm-hmm. the game after I, I haven't even yeah, really yeah, yeah. gone yeah. that up to date with things. But well, yeah. well, 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 let me ask you a general question then. Do you think, do you agree that A League referees are not doing enough to maybe protect young players if, if we're, if we're looking at this incident? I think it's, it's too individualistic. In, mm-hmm. in its nature for it to be sort of something that we can address that strongly. Um, but I certainly understand where Jack is, is coming from. Um, purely because Nestor is the type of person that is getting in altercations a lot because he's being fouled a lot because he's a very dangerous player on the pitch. And that's something that you do factor in, uh, on that individualistic basis that I'm, that I mentioned. Yeah. So I think it's pertinent here to bring up, um, the explanation that Carl Veer brought up, um, after the game, and Jake, if I'm not mistaken, you would have been there uh, to hear that, um, where he mentioned that Alex King said that basically he told Nesta to be stronger um, in relation to that incident. Now, he's he's totally wrong. All right, let's not let's not beat around the bush. Alex King has got that he's got that awfully wrong because there's a couple things here. If your approach as a referee, in my opinion, is that you are going to let things go. 
And we've seen this with someone like, if I'm not mistaken, Ali Reza Fagani kind of sometimes takes this approach where he likes to let things go a little bit and let the game play out, which is fine. You know, you have to be consistent with that, number one. And more to the point, I think you need to be transparent with the players. And what I don't, I feel like in the A-League, what we see a lot of from referees is when things start to get a little bit heated in a game, it's I've just got to launch it in my back pocket and I'm going to deal with it like this and just cards, 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 cards. And I don't think it works at all. And I think when you see probably, and I'm not saying, you know, we don't have, we don't have you know, full-time referees. We don't have referees that are at the level of a league like the Premier League, for example. But when you see officiating in that league, I think you see more of a relationship between the officials and the players, if, if that makes sense. So the players kind of know where they stand in a game, right? Now, this is separate to talking about Nesta as an individual because I agree with all the points made. Nesta does need to mature on the football pitch. And I think people probably close to Nesta and probably, you know, we've seen Carl Viet say it and these are the people that I'm kind of referring to. We've seen teammates say it that, you know, he he needs to he needs to work on that. And we saw Carl say we're working with him on that. And I don't think that's a throwaway line. I really think it's something that they pointedly try and work on with him because they know this kid's got immense talent. He can be world-class. And if he does something stupid on a football pitch, which gets him suspended for eight games or something crazy like that, well, that could be really costly for his development, right? So it's there's 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 two separate things to look at. There's the officiating of the incident and the officiating of someone like Nesta, but then there's Nesta's personality on the football pitch. So I think it's important first of all to separate those two things. Um, so in keeping that in mind, Jake, what what did what did you see? Um, because you're actually at the game, so you would have had, I guess, and you're at the presses as well. Um, so you would have probably a much more unique perspective on this than, than the three of us can offer. Yeah, so firstly, I'll probably go through the game. It wasn't, um, you know, like I sort of watched Nesta. Well, I'm sure many do because mm. he's just such a fantastic and interesting player to watch. It, it was something else happening quite a bit. He was getting fouled quite a lot. Maybe sometimes wasn't called, maybe sometimes was called. And you could see maybe progressively he was getting more sort of agitated or yeah. frustrated, you know, rightfully so. You know, like, you know, getting kicked all game isn't the funnest thing to do. So I think it, it, it definitely was sort of a something that was building towards a bit of a climax, especially, you know, 1-1, 90th minute, chasing the goal, um, clearly gets fouled by Chris Economides. Like, I was, it was literally right in front of me. Like, it was the most blatant thing. Wasn't called by either the liner or the referee. Don't know how. But anyways, so that happens. Ball goes out of play. It was actually going to be a throw-in as well. So they still would have possession, but obviously a free kick would have been better, especially sort of how Zach Lowe was delivering uh, balls into the box. But uh, yeah, it just yeah he didn't get the foul there and just lost it. You know, ultimately, um, mm. you know, sort of threw his hands at the ref. I understand the the, uh, the sending off there. Um, yeah, but maybe some people you know, don't have problems with it. I don't know. I, for me, I get that. But yeah, it's look. Um, in in the press conference, uh, when uh, Carl said that comment about how Alex said because I you know, I told him he has to be stronger. What, what was your reaction when he said that? What was your reaction well, like actually in the room? Yeah, that literally everyone almost just like kind of looked at each other like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, we, we just couldn't really believe it. We're just like, uh, what? Um, you know, because obviously at the end of the day, Alex King, I don't think has addressed this yet. So maybe, you know, some yeah. miscommunication with words because that, that can't be right. Like, like, like well, that, that, that's so that's like... where we, we're having a discussion about this today amongst, amongst few of us. And all I was saying was maybe Alex King was trying to say to Nesta, um, 
this is how I'm going to officiate this. So, you know, you need to be stronger sort of thing if you kind of get where I'm coming from. But mm. here's the thing. Why would you say that in the 90th minute or whatever, right? If that's, and this also, goes back when I'm just, after yeah. After you've yeah. already carded him for an argument. You, exactly. you've, already, you've already sanctioned him for this. And then your reaction is to say, no, you, you need to be stronger after you've sent him off. It, it doesn't make any sense from an officiating point of view. Yeah. And There's no transparency watching, is what I'm getting at. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just, this is, you know, and it's not, I don't think it's on referees to make sure, you know, players understand, you know, um, that, listen, if you particularly do this and I'm going to get, you know, really pissed off, like at the end of the day, players should just behave in a certain manner regardless of what referee it is, right? So I understand that. But if you're just going to, if you're just going to throw that line out there, you know, um, with after you've, I believe, was it just to clarify that, Jack, that he was after he actually sent him off? I, I, I don't think Carl actually clarified. He didn't clarify, yeah. Made, but, yeah. but, but just in general, though, like it, it, it sounds like, I think I saw someone write it. it. It sounds like something like you're, like if your dad's refereeing a game, you'd say to your kid, just like, listen, mate, I need you to be stronger. Yeah. I'm not going to call these on you. Like it just, it's a really baffling comment to make to, yeah. you know, someone that's not like, I, I get the, I, I get, look, Nestory is good. This is going to happen to Nestory, like for his career. This just happens to these type of yeah, exciting young players mm. that are just so quick and strong. That's the only way you can stop them. You know, Adama Traor in the Premier League, for example, had his baby oil because people just grab him. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so this is something that's going to happen to Nesta. I get that. But I, I, at the end of the day, you've got to referee everyone the exact same. You know, I, I, I know that Nestor's got a lot of potential. You want to make him, you know, a tough kid that's going to be super resilient. But at the end of the day, it's like, like, like as a referee, you are supposed to be an unbiased, unsolicited entity here that solely looks, was this a foul or was this not a foul? Mm. And from what that comment there, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm honestly baffled. I'm honestly lost for words. Like we kind of all were. Like even Joey Lynch after asking that question just was like, what, like, what do you even say here? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just, yeah. it was unbelievable, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a strange one. And on the Economides foul, I think, I think we can all be in agreement here that. It's obviously a clear foul. The only defense I'd say for King is that he probably wasn't in the best view to see it because maybe Chris Economides actually might have been blocking his view given where he usually would be in a scenario like that on the pitch. But then, okay, what about the linesman, right? So, you know, um, and then the other part to this was Connor Chapman and his comments, which I, I really think we should address after the game. Like, there's a few things here. I think we need to remember, though, this is Adelaide-Melbourne victory, right? So, I mean, this is what happens when Adelaide United play Melbourne victory. Um, and the reality, not not all the time, of course, but the reality was this was a game that was kind of in the event that it was going to be level with 20 minutes to go and there were tackles flying around, like something like this was very likely, I think, to occur, to be honest with you. Um, and this, I mean, this fixture has a history of all this. You know, you go all the way back to Muscat and Cosmina, all the way till now, right? So, Connor Chapman saying um, that, you know, I want to basically stir him up sort of thing. Technically speaking, there's nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day, he's just he's he's just trying to maybe, you know, do do what might be considered, you know, and I'd say this in, a, in quotation marks, the right thing for his team by trying to essentially go to, go to an opposition player into a red card. Now, I don't think any of us really condone it as something any player should do on the football pitch, but from a... Melbourne victory perspective, I guess it is technically the right thing to do, right? Um, but 
Well, it, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't I wouldn't say it's maybe the right thing to do, but I guess in a game like that where you've already been down to 10 men, it's one all, you're kind of trying to get a advantage anywhere possible. And I guess I, that's probably what went into his mind in that moment. Just to quickly interject, yeah. sorry, like I kind of disagree because at that point, yep. Nestor had already been sent off. And Chapman there, I'm actually surprised he didn't get a yellow there. Yeah. You know, going up to his face and sort of, you know, getting, you know, sort of, you know, mocking him and whatnot. Like, there was no need. Like, he already got Might sent off. Might be getting the timeline wrong. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I believe he did get a yellow at the oh, end okay. of that sequence. Well, well, yeah, yeah, well, actually, then, yeah, that proves... He did, he did. He did get yeah, a yeah, yellow. Yeah, yeah. He, yep. he was sanctioned for it. I mean, I don't understand the need for Connor Chapman to, you know, to to sort of run i mean and it, i don't know where his position on the field but he, he seemed to come from a you know a fairly decent distance away just to get in nesta's face when the kids are already agitated of course yeah, I, 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 no don't, I don't i don't think it's something where like if you're if you're trying to do something play by the dirty book and you know be a master of the dark arts usually you don't talk about it like if you, if you get what i mean like it, it, yeah, yeah. And like you said, he was already sent off. Like, it just doesn't... I don't understand yeah. that that interview afterwards where he's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, you know, trying to be, you know, competitive, get under his skin a little bit. It's like, what, what do you mean? He's already off the pitch by the time <laughs> you get over there, basically. Like, it just... It's just silly. Like, honestly, and it, and it's sort of made this... Like, and it's taking a significant time of our, you know, podcast tonight because it honestly sort of blew it up even further. Yeah. With that yeah. sort of added reaction where we could be talking about a really, really entertaining game of football instead. And I saw, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll briefly touch on that in a moment. Um, I saw a couple of interesting comments. So, well, just in general, I think it's interesting how a lot of people like just non-Melbourne Victory or non-Adelaide United fans seem to go into bat for Nesta. Which is kind of indicative of, I guess, the talent that he's become, where he's kind of almost like, kind of brought along this kind of, um, protection from other, other fans. Because, I mean, like, you know, fans of other clubs are obviously looking at Nesta and thinking he's going to play for the Socceroos. So it's almost like they are, you know, going to go into bat for him in, in situations like that. Um, and the other thing I saw, which was interesting, just on, just on the, I think we agree that he got, deserved to get sent off for the reaction. Um, but I think an important point which was made was if you don't send him off, what message do you send to other juniors, other kids watching the game? I saw that. Um, I believe it was actually Daniel Mullen who tweeted that on, uh, on Twitter, who's actually a local player here, of course, um, with Campbelltown and of course playing the A League. Um, so I thought that was really interesting because I don't think many people would. We'll look at it through through that lens. Um, anything else, guys, to add on the red card situation before we touch on the game for for a few minutes? Yeah, j- just briefly. I also want to like on your sort of you're talking about how all fans are seemingly sort of defending this. That's what it felt like. It just it just yeah. felt like oh, that no, no, discourse. No, no, I, yeah, I, I, I do agree with you, and I think it's it's not just that incident. I think it's also you know yeah at the stadium every single time he touched the ball, mm. he got booed. And yes, it was after you know he he got, you know it probably was a dive you know when um. Ranza took him out. It was it was still a foul, but he probably. Oh, you thought that was a dive? Oh no, no, no! He went down, but he was rolling around and sort of. Oh, you mean okay for the yeah. yellow card? Which I yeah. listen. It's a part of the game at this point, you know. Like for example, Bruno Fornaroli would do. You know, does it every game. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not something that's new. Mm. Um, but you know, you, the whole crowd was giving him the stick the whole time. So I, I guess, which I didn't necessarily think was right. You know, this is. I think that played into his, I think that played into his reaction. Like, because, you know, that was probably the first time I've ever seen 
excuse me, um, where he's actually been booed anytime he's touched the ball. Because I think what's happening now, just like I said, maybe opposition fans might go into bat for him in a situation like that. When they play him, they're going to boo him because they know he's the most dangerous player for Adelaide United now. Um, so it's it's kind of it's kind of human nature, right? Like when you see something that you know you maybe can't stop or your team can't stop, then you've got to try and bring out the off-field antics, particularly in football, to try and, you know, get in the guy's head. And, you know, I guess Melbourne Victory fans, it worked. If you want to look at it from from that perspective, well, they didn't win the game. So um, that's interesting, though, that you mentioned that because it's, it's really the first time that, that you really saw that kind of happen with Nesta. Every time he touched the ball, he's getting booed. And then you're thinking, he's 17. That's going to play on his mind now. Every single time he gets it, he knows the boo- the booing's coming. And then it's the 97th minute and you don't get a foul. And and you're right, uh, Jake, it's an interesting point because actually had Adelaide got that foul, one last chance to get the ball in the box and who knows what can happen from there. And he's probably thinking that as well. And then you just, you flip out, right? It's just, it's it's human nature, it happens. And particularly when you're 17 years old. So um, I'm not going to defend him too much because as Antonis will tell you, it's not an isolated incident with Nesta. Even, you know, possibly playing against players more closer to his age. He had issues, you know, with, with this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it definitely needs to be noted because um, it's not a good image that we want to see uh, from players on, on, on the pitch. All right, real quick, uh, Matt, I might go to you for this since you didn't have much to add on the, <clears throat> excuse me, on the red card situation. What, what did you make actually of the result and, uh, and just kind of how the, well, I won't ask you how the game played out since you were at Glory, but on the on the result itself, maybe just 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 a just a brief summation. I guess you know with with how strongly Adelaide have started the season, you know it, it's a good for their mentality to be able to go away to victory and get something out of it. That would literally be my only summation. I think from yeah. victory's point of view, it's too early to say anything dramatic or anything strongly one way or the other. Um, just that my takeaway would probably be that Adelaide are on the right path. Mm. Here's, here's, I'm just going to slightly counter, not, not, not counter to what you said about being on the right path, but I would say that it was more, look, I think Adelaide got a point they didn't deserve, to be really honest with you. I mean, victory, Jack will probably agree. And Jack, if you're watching as well, um, that game should have been done and dusted by the 60th minute. Let's, let's be brutally honest here, right? Um, and then victory just switched off off one set piece. Uh, credit to Hiroshi Basuki for being in the right place. But if Adelaide don't equalize there, but they did, I get it. But if they don't, then I don't really maybe see them scoring. Maybe victory, pull away late and get another goal. Miranda gets sent off, which kind of ends any hope of victory getting a win in the game as well. I think they did a good job, um, as you would expect a Popovich team to do, of holding out for one all. Um, but yeah, I think in the first half in particular, you saw the downsides of the Adelaide United approach, essentially. Um, and that's not really a criticism of the club and what they're trying to do. I think that's just a reality which Adelaide United fans might need to get on board with, that it kind of turned out as I expected where they're going into a hostile environment, it's victory away, it's not, you know, party time under the lights at Coopers against a disjointed Melbourne City team, if you get what I mean. You know, it's actually, it's, it's the big time a bit more. Um, and I think... These youngsters that we saw perform so well in the first two weeks, Johnny Yale, Panash Madanha, struggled big time uh, to handle that environment. And that's nothing against them. I think that's just the reality of where they're at. Um, so I think it was a little bit of a eye-opener into that's 
kind of the other end of the spectrum of this youth-heavy approach that Adelaide United takes. So, um, Jake, final thing. What did uh, what did you – maybe more from the victory side, what did you make of it? Because I have to say, um, if I was a victory fan, I'd be very very encouraged by what I saw in an in attacking sense in that game. I mean, look at – Azani looks – I'm not going to go too hyperbolic and say, oh, you know, he's back or anything like that. But I do think he's got a bit of a spring in his step for sure. Fornaroli looks fantastic. Uh, Zinedine Machach is is phenomenal, uh, and he's a he's a fucking bulldozer as well. Um, and and then another guy who looks like he's taking a little leap is Nishan Valupale as well. But I'll let you kind of uh, go on a little bit of a spiel about about that. Yeah, this representation that was I did ask Popovich about Nishan Valupale and sort of what he thought of his performance because he was particularly interesting. Where and Popovich said he could have had five. And he you know, kept saying that, and um, I think you know, I, I think it just probably shows the, slight exaggeration. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but I think it shows the man management there, which is he's just you know, like it's it's a bit of a joke, but at the same time he's you know, encouraging Nishan. Look, mate, you've got to put these chances away because he had a lot of chances. I think I looked at the end of the game, seven big chances created by victory, and one goal to show for it. Jake um, probably knows. Hey, Jake, how much XG did Nishan Valupale create in the game? I'm a guess one. But anyways, um, <laughs> no, sorry. I, I thought maybe you had the stat right in front of you, just because <laughs> I, I, I don't have a specifically on Nishan, but I do know the victory. It was actually surprisingly closer in the end, but um, but it, just in general though, it's just there was a, lo- a lot of you know chances coming. Your know, Arzani down the right was fantastic, sort of getting to that byline. Um, Ashash again for me, he was probably the player of the match. Him and Fornaroli, fantastic. Um, there's a lot to really really like about this victory side, but I, I'd say um. Maybe some of the issues we saw last season in the chance conversion reappeared today, mm. uh, where they looked good, they defended well, but at the end of the day, the result just wasn't there. You know, that, that was just a common reoccurring theme week in, week out. Thankfully here, uh, for victory, it's, it's just a one-off, you know, like they, they've got the two results previous, but yeah, it'll just be interesting to see if this sort of does reappear, but there's a, re- a lot to like about this victory side. I think this is a team that easily should be competing for farms, easily, like, they look very good. I just Jack, wanna... Jack, just quickly before you before you talk, um, just three words from me. Uh, Joe Gauchi, wow. That's it. Um, that's, that's the three words. Oh, Jack. He was unbelievable um, in goals. And, you know, I mean, you only have to look to the United squad to look to the future of Australian football. But I think, you know, if a, if a guy like Joe Gauchi uh, is going to be a part of a national team setup, we're in pretty safe hands. I just wanted to touch on something that Jake um pointed out about you know this sort of result not really you know rolling in in victory's favor based on the balance of play based upon the chances they had and based upon what they were able to create during the match and I think a lot of what we saw in the second half and I am going to quickly touch on this is that um victory sort of when they went down um to 10 were were really really forcing the issue in terms of a mentality like you know, we've already talked about the incident. I'm not going to bring that up again, but that's not a sort of isolated in terms of when you look at the physicality they brought. You look at Bruno um, Fornaroli having a go at Calviert, for example. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They were sort of going, all right, it's just not going our way tonight. We we just need to sort of get a bit dogged in the trenches and just try and get something here because you, Joe Gauchy's on fire. I mean, you know, you, there's, there's hard to score against him. But I also thought, um, Carl Viet's reaction, not his re- reaction that got him a card, but his reaction in terms of the changes he made um, around that halfway point in the match. 
were actually, you know, I thought they were really welcomed. I really liked Bovelina when he came on. I thought that um, Panache was getting sort of a little bit. He, he was getting roasted. Let's let's let's. He was getting roasted. He okay. was getting bullied, and, and like not bullied in sort of uh, he was getting like sort of towered up beyond belief. But I feel like um, in terms of physically, he just wasn't there, mm. and he couldn't compete physically with the victory players. And then Bovelina comes in, and I thought he you know, may not have been at the same level as the victory players in terms of physicality, but it was definitely an improvement. And I think that's something that's, you know, we need to keep an eye on throughout the season. You know, when in what games is, you know, Medania going to be used and when in what games is Bovelina going to be used on the, at the right side of the the defence, if if that's where Viat chooses to play. But, um, yeah. yeah, I just thought that, um, you know, victory thought to themselves, if we weren't going to win the match, we're definitely going to win a mental battle. And I know A-League hate you know, football fans in general just hate going, oh, yeah, we won the mental battle today without walking away with three points. But I think victory certainly did. Okay, Sydney FC. 0-3 Sydney FC. Um, what a shambles, um, really, to, to put it bluntly, uh, to begin with. A real disastrous start for Sydney FC. Um, Matt, you mentioned them in one of your talking points at the start, so I want you to kick off this conversation. You've been... You've been on Sydney FC and this Steve Cogger thing for a while. Um, I could go back to a certain um, front page football article uh, on, on the website, which you can actually still see on there at the moment, um, where you compared Sydney FC to, uh, to Barbados. Um, but <laughs> anyway, do you want to, do you want to kind of briefly explain the, the issues that you're seeing with Sydney FC at the moment? Look, I think when you've got a squad, um, and a structure that they've been built on, that relies on a lot of experienced heads and relies on those experienced heads to, to really just carry the team at times. To be honest, I don't think in terms of their, their youth recruitment, they've been able to nail any long-term signings and really produce any players that have got a completely refreshed environment at the club. And they're still, administratively, they're still doing things correctly. But a game like this is really the antithesis of the modern Sydney FC and the, and the almost overdue nature of, of, of Stephen Corica's Sydney FC. I mean, there was a, a forlorn figure of, of uh, Luke Bratton at the end of the game, just looking down at the ground, shaking his head. Just he needed, he was, he was clueless. He just needed to ask questions of well, why can't we get it right? What's missing? And I, I just, I think the answer has been very simple for a long time now. I've literally been saying this. That, that article you mentioned, I released that in November 2021. I'm I reckon, it, I reckon if we republish that tomorrow, probably most of the stuff would still be relevant. It's crazy. I've literally been saying this for two whole years. <laughs> it's, it's, it's nuts. And and to be brutally honest with you, I mean, yeah, you, you go away to Melbourne City, who in their own right were probably going to always come into the game with a bit of hunger because of the managerial situation. When teams tend to sack their managers, they tend to bounce back in a big way. So the game was probably made for Melbourne City in that way. Mm. But I just think that, that there was just so much that, that, that Sydney couldn't do to gain a, a mental edge on the game. And, um, you know, I, I, from, from memory, I think that the stats went heavily in, in City's favour, especially in the second half. Sydney um, FC did not have a shot on target in this game. Yeah. I'll repeat that. Sydney yeah. FC, Sydney FC, with, with all their quality on paper, yeah. with Robert Mack, with Joe Lolly, did not have a shot on target in this football match. What, what I also think is fascinating about this is that you talk about the impact that guys like Mack and Lolly have in the team, and they're still very big figures. And they were still able to have a successful cup campaign. Let's remember that we are talking about the Australian Cup winners here as well. Mm. But funnily enough, that was the only game that we've actually seen the Sydney that we want to see and the Sydney that a lot of people were predicting to see. 
Um, and again, you know, it's it's been in their DNA to rely a lot on players like that to really make a performance. So when someone like Joe Lolly isn't having the impact that he had, and he was, I don't want to say that he was useless, but he, he obviously struggled to have that that big player impact. Um, and even in years prior, when they were relying on a very old and, and forlorn, you know, Alan LaFondra, he could still step up and do the job very occasionally. You know, when 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 someone like Joe Lolly's not there, when when Luke Bratton's not there as leaders, this team just goes completely missing. And um, and that's something that they really ought to rejig and, and really think about. Um, I'm I'm gonna give my sort of spiel, and I'm not sure if anyone's mentioned this, but I think what's happening with Sydney FC is they're kind of caught between two identities. Um, and one identity is the experienced, successful Sydney FC, which we saw for many years under Graham Arnold, and then when Steve Corrigan first took over, and then we know that Sydney FC are trying to push their youth. But here's the problem. Their youth is not ready to perform right now, which is kind of what you're touching on, Matt. And what it means is you're left with aging players who can't contribute in the same way that they used to, and then young players who are not ready to contribute in the way that you want them to. So all of a sudden, you're left with a team that just fundamentally can't operate in a way that's going to bring about regular success of course you know they're going to have their you know that if they if they stick with Steve Corrigan they're probably going to have their odd wins they're still going to look decent they'll probably be a mid-table team something around there you know Mac and Lolly will have their contributions and they'll be all right but this is Sydney FC we're talking about this is not you know um MacArthur this is not the Mariners or whatever right you know this is Sydney FC so there is a different expectation which comes with that just quickly and Jack I'm mindful that you you wanted to want to give uh, a point there as well some really interesting selection choices by Steve Corrigan in this game. Um, Jake Girdwood Reich, who seemed very much like Jake Girdwood Reich is going to be center back this year, no problem next to next to Lacerda, suddenly moves him into midfield. Um, suddenly, Fabio Gomez, after looking great in the Australia Cup final and admittedly poor against Brisbane Raw, suddenly we just see a, a complete lack of faith in this game. Steve Corrigan goes, "No, you're going to the bench," and it just seems very erratic for. A coach you making these sorts of calls um, three games into a season, if you know, if you get what I mean, and it was it was very interesting um, to see that, and it almost feels like like bringing in Patrick Wood for a game like this away against Melbourne City, the Premiers, a game not that Sydney FC needed to win, but that they kind of you know, need to show a strong performance. And I'm not, there's nothing against Patrick Wood because he's shown that he's capable in, in competitions like the Australia Cup. But you would think you'd kind of maybe just, if, if you're just going off of, actually not not what I would do, but going off of what a Steve Corriger decision would be, would probably be to just stick with the foreigner, right? You know, knowing someone like Steve Corriger as a manager. Yet weirdly, he kind of went for the youth option. And it feels to me like he's, I wonder whether they're trying to change to be this, promoting of youth kind of identity and he's in a weird place where he has to do that as well but he doesn't really see that as a manager if you kind of get what i'm what i'm saying i know i know jack has a point here yeah in literally so to go back to november of 2021 so that includes the 21 22 season 22 23 and now 23 24 not once have they produced like a really good youngster that we're yeah. all talking about. We literally named. Well, you know, you know, it's funny they actually have, but they've all been at other clubs anyway. Yeah, or they've or they've moved on, right? Um, but even then, think about someone like Alex Parsons, who was like a mega mega star that came onto the scene in twenty one, uh, twenty to twenty one, 
and then he signed for Sydney FC from Brisbane. Mm. He literally wasn't played at all. He's gone back to Brisbane, and he's he's like half the good player that he was just because he was completely ruined at Sydney. And something that I really fearful of with Steve Corica is he plays these younger kids. He has them running it, running around in the team, but he doesn't actually know on an individual level what he wants from them. It's like it's not even a lack of faith mm. thing. It's just like I'm going to promote you because this is what we need to do to keep the turnover going. But he's got no idea what he's doing with them. No, I'm and, saying and, more. And I'm saying is, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot no, of the uh, tweaks in the eleven yeah. are a big part of that as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I'm saying more. It feels to me like there's something coming up from the hierarchy behind him to say, listen, you need to start playing youth because we want to be a youth developmental club. And he's thinking, oh, oh, right, okay, this isn't really what I do, but I guess we'll start doing this now, sort of thing. Which brings me to my next point, just quickly, which is the hire of David Zrilich as an assistant manager, and I really think this needs to be flagged because. It's been, I know probably multiple people have talked about this and maybe we have off camera as well uh, or off air. And I mentioned this, but David Zrilich, his coaching background is very much in the Red Bull kind of way of thinking. And he had experience in Germany. And as we know, that's a model which is very focused on youth. And I just wonder whether the Sydney FC felt they had to stick with Steve Corrigan out of loyalty but they brought in David's Rillage as the safety net in case this goes wrong. And I wonder if we're heading down that path. Uh, Jack, over to you. I think that I sort of have a point that sort of sums up what both you uh-huh. and Matt have been talking about and what Matt's been talking about for a long time. Um, Steve Corica as a manager in both his coaching philosophy and from what I've seen in his personal development within the game, I don't know him personally at all, but like his professional development in the game, He's very rigid and his rigidity is is starting to really suck out, you know, the life from Australia's, you know, it's Australia's probably biggest club. I mean, based on membership it is, you know, it's between them or Victory, who's Australia's biggest football club. One of Australia's biggest clubs anyway, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, I think that on the on the contrary to to, you know, some of what people are saying, I think that these young players are not, um, you know, going there and then becoming crap. I think they're going there and losing what makes young players so excited to watch. And it's their flair, their creativity, and their sort of confidence somewhat, you know, some would say it's self-confidence. It's a bit inflated when you're at that age. You know, it's boring on the the airs of arrogance. And it's because Corica and the way he set up his team in the past and, and why he's been so successful is he's created a system and he's created a team identity that is that. But did he no, create a system? Did he really create a system? Well, I, he piggybacked a lot of Graham Arnold. All right, I, I'll get that out of the uh, way. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'd argue that he almost piggybacked all of Graham Arnold. Did he not? Like, I'm, I'm uh, look, I, uh, I don't, I don't mean to be too harsh on Steve Corrigan here, but where's the season that you can point to that was successful from Sydney FC, where Steve Corrigan actually took the team and went, no, 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 we're going and doing this now. And it actually worked out, and it was successful. I can't. I, I don't remember it. it. It's okay. So what, what I'm trying to say is, it's not a. Well, I'm not saying Corica yeah. built the system. Okay, mm-hmm. Arnold definitely mm-hmm. built the system, mm-hmm. and Corica's sticking to it because that's it's all his nose. And he's, I th- personally like thinking you know, the the way he coaches the team. He is he's a competent coach. He's a very competent. Oh no, I'm not saying coach. that. He's not an incompetent football head either. Mm. He's got, you know, years and years of experience. And I just think that 
he sort of only has one idea of what can win in matches. And when that idea goes out the window, there is no plan B or plan C. And there's no, I don't think, world where Steve Corica goes to Janik Kacharski when it's nil all. He pulls up his number, you know, he tells the fourth official his number's going on. He tells him, go out there and just express yourself. Go out there and try and beat him and go in there and build confidence. Go in there and be aggressive. I think that he just wants to go, okay, this person is not working in my system. Let's see if this person can work in my system. And he's sort of just mm-hmm. trying to shoehorn puzzle pieces mm-hmm. that at the end of the day aren't really, you know, filling the picture, which is Sydney FC. And to me, that speaks to a coach who's, first of all, ran out of ideas. And let's be honest. Sydney FC limped into the finals last year. It wasn't a very strong finals. I mean, they got over West Sydney Wanderers, which, you know, is a credit to that squad, credit to the players on the pitch, and somewhat credit to Stephen Corica, but they limped into the finals. They did not look strong whatsoever, and there was no period of Sydney FC's season last season where I thought, look, this team, if they string it together, they weren't dominating games. And also, if you look at just the possession stats, I mean, you know, winning the possession battle in a game against Melbourne City is hard enough. But it's hard enough when your system is based on you having a lots of possession, getting the ball into the mixer, and then just trying to take those chances. 43%, 10 shots, zero on target. You know, there's no sort of, I suppose, angst from Corica, and whether it's just him or it's a coaching staff or, or, or whatever, to just chuck something in different, chuck in a live wire, chuck in a wild card. <laughs> And see how it pans out. So, like Matt's been saying, it it really just, you know, needs to be looked at really, really closely to say, you know, is this guy someone you can build a future off? Because I'm saying no. Mm. Just quickly, um, I will actually say that, that Callum Ewenhoff certainly was a Steve Corker product, but he, he, he then left. That's one player in three seasons. So wait, you, you, you expand on that. So what what are you trying to get at? He's produced one good player in three seasons. Yeah, the academy has done fuck off. It, it, it's not. It's like <laughs> he relies really, really heavily on his veteran players. It, it sort of started out in in the in the space of sort of a Bobo or a, a Lafondra type player. And I'm actually wondering in the modern setup. Yes, you have Mac and and Lolly who can be big movers and shakers. You had someone like a, a Ninkovic in the past. But the lack of a, a pronounced forward, all due respect to, to someone like Patrick Wood, it probably is the biggest undoing for Stephen Corker at the moment, and and that's what. There's that, but I wouldn't say more. I just went off. I just went off on a tangent. No, 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 no. It's fine. No, it's fine. Then, what I'm saying is, I don't think it's he didn't. You know, he's not producing players. The academy obviously produces the players. It's more he has no idea how to nurture. I think young them. players because he's got no yeah. experience doing it. Right. So this is this kind of what I'm getting at. He's and shoehorning them in into a system yeah, yeah, that's yeah. already dead in the water. That's the problem. Yeah, it's and then and water no point, but this, this goes back to something which uh, Antonis has talked about before. I think last week he actually might have mentioned it. Where Sydney FC, you can't just suddenly overnight go. We're gonna we're gonna now change to being this youth focused focused club but not have a strong enough link for years between your first team and your NPL squad and your and your academy teams, right? Because now you're trying to do exactly what you're saying, Jack, where you're trying to shoehorn players who have been learning maybe a different way, a different way of playing in, in youth football and now trying to shoehorn them into this, we know it is, 4-3-3 or 4-2-2-2, whatever, whatever at one out of those two that Steve Corrigan chooses to go with every week, maybe more in recent times it's 4-3-3. I mean, wow. You know, little slight change there. Um, 
but it's it fundamentally doesn't work. You have to you have to find roles for your players um, in in your system, and if you don't, well, you know maybe that player is not suitable for your football. You know what I mean? And if if that player is good enough, then you need to build around it. If it's not, well, then maybe let it go. But you know, I think what's becoming apparent here is, to me, the way I'm seeing this is Sydney FC are trying to do something different, and they've got someone leading it who does not suit that at all. Does not suit that at all. Um, and on Matt's point around the aging players, I mean, not only are these players aging, some of them are getting worse. Um, Andrew Redmayne might be, I, I dare I say, it, might be on the verge of a slight decline. Ryan Grant was atrocious on Friday um, and might be starting to show his uh, decline now. I mean, he's nowhere near the player who, you know, back in like 2019, for example, right? Even Bratton, who I still think is decent, don't get me wrong, but does not have anywhere near the sort of control over games that we used to see from him either. Um, so does that, does that almost provide? Sorry, Christian. Does that almost, yeah. Does that does that almost provide an excuse for them to really want to stick it out and say, well, it's not Stephen's fault. You know, there is a lot of sort of mul- mul- you know a multifaceted element to this. If the players are aging and things are going on, and you know, like, it, it's disgusting, but it, it almost makes me think because when I when I look back on when Sydney FC tried to do that big documentary on Paramount Plus. And they made it all about, like, you know, Stephen is, is loyal. And to bring it back to your point about the loyalty, it actually really seems to be a massive factor in this, in mm-hmm. that in that he's mates with, you know, he's mates with important people at the club. The people on the board really like him as a person. They want to keep him around, and they've got the championships in the past to almost prove it and almost say that, look, we're eventually going to be in a transitional phase, but Steve is the guy to do this. And it's like, no, you need a, you need a wholesale change is what you need. Mm-hmm. You can't just sit there and say it's a transitional period. Your point about someone like a Ryan Grant or an Andrew Redmayne is actually really permanent to this as well, because you talk about tactically what he wants to do, tactically who he relies on, but it, it's not it's not the same squad that it, that it was in in the respect of, of those guys dropping off on quality. I mean, Ryan Grant was playing for the Socceroos as as late as you know early twenty twenty two, and it's wild to think that he's just he's just completely fallen off the map with the rest of a lot of the players in that team. I feel like Ryan Grant's like gone through a similar sort of Josh Risden arc, if that can kind of be I where I don't it's... know. How, yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm wondering if that's more to do with the the gained experience that the right back position has had over time. Mm, mm. Yeah, but the other thing, part of this, if I'm thinking like, if I'm Ryan Grant, for example, too, like for basically four seasons on end, I've basically been told to do the same thing game in, game out. Like, let's let's be totally honest. And obviously it changes though, depending on opposition, of course, there's little nuances, but fundamentally in possession or out of possession the principles of play are the same so it's kind of like after a while i'm probably going to be a little bit like can we do something different or like and and more to the point listen a league premier league la liga whatever the hell it is you have to evolve any team has to evolve it's just as simple as that right um and and that's why you know before every season and i don't always agree with it but why everyone goes oh well this team hasn't signed enough players so enough big names so like you know they're going to be ninth you know whatever because everyone just has that in the back of their mind like you know you need to evolve you need to do you know you need to renew your squad you need to do something different so there's there's look i don't think in saying all of this though then now we're starting to maybe talk about maybe sydney fc's i guess recruitment policy and maybe how they've been just as a club being too loyal to certain players over a few years and 
how 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 much of a role does Steve Corey, I guess, play in that? Probably a significant role, you'd imagine. If he's won championships, he has a massive say over who they recruit, of course. Um, but maybe, you know, some of the burden of this needs to rest on the club and the, what they're trying to do and maybe that the way they've tried to execute this kind of shift has just not been fluid at all. Um, last thing on this, Jake, because we haven't really gone to you uh, to get your thoughts. Um, what uh, what are you making of Sydney FC at the moment? I think it's very interesting as, yes, you know, always take the Australia Cup with a bit of a grain of salt, but I, I think we really did start to maybe see some of these issues that we have discussed just here addressed. I thought, you know, the introduction of Jake Dobrik right in there, Kelly mm. Adamson, who's seemingly disappeared, they didn't sign yeah, Where on earth is Kelly Adamson? <laughs> Can someone explain this to me? So, like, like decisions like that really, like, were sort of oh like, oh, this is a bit confusing going to this season. But He's the greatest can... fullback to ever play for Sydney FC, not to be reassigned. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, but then, like, like, it really was baffling. They, like, he was keeping Ryan Rand out of the team at a point. Like, he was... Well, like, it was like the quarterfinal against West United in the Australia Cup, and I was like, who the hell is this guy? Oh, my God. Like, he's... <laughs> this guy's a baller. And then, all of a sudden, it's like, um, okay, that's it. It's like, listen, we played him for three games in the Australia Cup. That's it. You know what I mean? Look, um, feel free, anyone in the comments, to, to educate me on the Kelly Addison situation if I'm missing certain elements of it. But, man, I just think, well, what's going on there? Why, why, why are we not seeing him? But, yeah, Jay, you, you were saying? Yeah, but just in general, it's just we saw maybe a bit more excitement about the young players coming through. Mm. Like, I think in the first round they had everyone was an academy graduate. It was like, okay, maybe we're going to start to see a change, but we're starting to see these same issues that Matt has said. We've you know, sort of been seeing for a long time now start to regain you know like a, a lot of people including myself tip S- sydney to win the, se- the the flag this season like there was a lot of hype going around them like the, I, sorry flag the, flag the flag okay, okay. the flag oh, the flag? Which flag? Which flag? Flag? Which flag where's the flag where's the flag <laughs> okay i'm sorry that you know, is a I, disgusting I, 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 reference. I, I also oh like afl sometimes i'm sorry about that jesus all right to be but, fair uh, Jake, hey on hey on guys jake's in victoria so you know there's always exa- exactly exactly yeah that, that gives me a, a thing I'm a, I'm a loyal cats fan but but anyways um enough, enough round ball a second uh, afl reference <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry okay i'm sorry but but yeah so i don't know i'm I, I think the point you did bring up on the assistant coach, I actually didn't even know about sort of his history. Honestly, and- I'm, I'm flagging it big time with Zrilich. I, I, I am, I've, you know, people have been mentioning it to me as well. And I think, okay, I don't know, you know, and we just know with Sydney FC, you know, usually they're just going to be loyal to their own and stuff. But I really think there's an interesting subplot with this Zrilich hire as an assistant. And I think everyone should keep an eye on it. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, oh, well, I'm going to keep my eye on it now because I think it, you know, a lot of it does make sense. Like there has been a strong implementation. Like looking at the bench mm. in the last game, there, Corley mm. Perkins, Glasson, Holman, Kucharski, Pavlicic, De Jesus. Like that is such a young bench there we're seeing, and so it will be interesting to see how they are going to go ahead and sort of make that transition. Is it going to be with Corica? We'll see. We'll ultimately see. We will. We will indeed. Um, all right. That's going to conclude our Sydney FC discussion. We're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to go across the ditch and talk a little bit about Wellington. Okay. So changing course now and talking about Wellington. Um, that was our third deep dive because we haven't given Wellington enough love, I believe, yet, uh, or just enough, I think, coverage yet to be brutally honest so i think it's important that we mention them particularly with the start that they've made this season now uh, i mentioned them in my talking points jake mentioned how brisbane was stunned um but 
I mean, 5-2, it's a headline result. Oscar Zavada scores a hat-trick. It's actually the first time Jason Pine mentioned the commentary. It's the first time uh, Oscar Zavada has actually scored more than one goal in an A-League game, uh, believe it or not, which is kind of incredible when you think about it, how good he's been for Wellington. But um, just just quickly on Wellington's tactical profile this year, um, because as expected, I don't think a lot has changed from from the Ufuk Tale regime. I think, if anything, they've actually probably become more defensive, uh, to be honest with you. Um, and what we saw, for example, against the Wanderers was just your kind of standard park the bus a little bit and we'll take the point. And um, then against Perth and this game here, although more in a sensational manner, we saw a team kind of control the opponent without the ball. Um, if, if, if that makes sense, something a little bit different that we don't see from a lot of A-League teams. We've seen it from Tony Popovich's teams down the years for sure, but Giancarlo Italiano has really continued this theme of creating a team that is hard to beat first and foremost. And Wellington are doing that. They've got a confident young goalkeeper, but they've also got a really, really solid structure. Um, that's very difficult to penetrate. And what was weird though, not weird, but particularly promising if I'm a Wellington fan, that game on Saturday was Brisbane score after, was it, 30 seconds. And to be honest, for the first 10 minutes, I was literally like, they're actually going to win this game 3-0. What the hell? Like, they're actually, like, killing them. Um, And then they just, Wellington just figured it out, you know? They just slowly kept going. And the main thing was they worked out how to play through Brisbane's press. And once they worked that out, Brisbane had no chance. It was, it was, it was unbelievable. They also... You look at this Wellington team, and I was thinking about it during the game, particularly in the first half. So that midfield three, on paper, let, let's let's be totally honest. On paper here, Mo Alte, Alex Rufa, Nicholas Pennington. Now you have got two guys there. Rufa, we know is a stalwart. We know he's a great. We know he's a very solid player, and we know he'll do a job. But with Alte and Pennington, you have got two guys who really haven't been regulars in A League. You know, in the A League, really yet. To be honest with you, this is kind of. Mo Altay, I mean, Jack can talk a little bit more of this. He, he featured a bit more at Newcastle, but probably never really locked down his place as a you know one of the first names on the team sheet. But more to the point, I look at that midfield three and I think, where's actually the spark in terms of you know a guy who can progress the ball, uh, someone who's closer to a more advanced option? Really, you've got three guys who are a bit more kind of defensive-minded in your midfield setup. Then you've got, you know, and I know t- I know Tim Payne scored on scored on Saturday. It was a fantastic goal, but that was his first goal, and there's a reason for that because he's not an attacking fullback. You got Lucas Kelly Hield, who looks a really really promising young talent, and his size is just unbelievable. It astonishes me every time I see him. Um, but he looks like someone who's more closer to a centre back. What I'm what I'm trying to get at is they're you know they've really only got three players in their starting eleven who are actually like attacking minded sort of players, and that's Kriyev, Barbarusas, and Zavada. Outside of that, it's very much a defensive-orientated team. But this kind of, not to harp on the Steve Corrigan thing again, but this is actually an example of a team which actually has a system which suits its personnel, you know? Um, and that's what they're getting right at the moment. And what was interesting, and uh, I'll just talk a little bit more before I throw over to one of you guys, is Zavada, he's clinical, which is huge. If you've got a clinical striker in the A-League, we know it makes a huge difference. We were just talking about Sydney FC not having one at the moment. But also, he is so important to what they do when they build up from the back um, because his ability to actually bring balls down basically directly from Alex Bolson, bring them to ground, and then Wellington can play from there is huge. 
You know, to have that weapon in your arsenal is massive. Kryev knows how to play off him perfectly. Barbarossa's will probably get his goals. But my main concern is still, if Zavada goes down injured for a couple of weeks, you know, who's really going to score the goals in this team? Um, because I still don't see it long term in terms of the attacking side of things. But defensively, my word, like, they are going to be a very tough team to beat. And I already on three games, you can see that we're going to see a continuation of that that kind of philosophy from Ufi Tale. I don't know if it's going to breed the same results. That's not what I'm saying. But I do think we're going to see a very similar style of team. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was an interesting game. I, I, I got a lot of sort of memories to that game, the final. Uh, Sydney versus Brisbane, where Brisbane initially so kind of controlled mm. the game, dominated, were pressing nonstop, and I I, I was interested to see if um, uh, Italiano would sort of take inspiration from that game, and I think he did. Like like that that was almost a blueprint on how to play through Brisbane. The first half, you maybe you know, want to sort of get a feel of the game, understand how they're going to press you, try not to concede as many goals, and that second half, you're able to play through that press. And we saw that, and I sort of touched on it in my initial points. In their defense is a little suspect. I think Tom Aldred and uh, Scott Neville, they're two very solid center backs, but I think they're much more suited to a low block. And I think the way in which Wellington was sort of able to expose that was hitting him on the counter. You know, we saw Zavada, we saw Cryer, we saw Barbarousas, who are, you know, maybe not necessarily the youngest players, but they've got a bit of speed about them, and they're able to get through them. And I'll give credit to Nick Pennington, who... I know you were saying how um, in the midfield, there's not necessarily one creative player there. He, but he can do that. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I think he's improved on that. Last season, mm. we probably saw him a little bit deeper, sort of in that sort of um, you know, number six role in a way. But I think he's yeah, progressing to more of an attack-minded number eight this season. These look pretty good. So I, I, I think, yeah, like you've said, they've used what they have. Because realistically, on paper, I, I think they're probably one of the weaker teams in the league. And that's why everyone mm. was predicting them to finish near the bottom, but I, I think we've seen from a Wellington side that they're always able to find a way um, every single season. They're able to rebuild and they're able to sort of, yeah, just use their assets to the best they have. So I think full credit to them. We've seen already they're, they're already third position, uh, two two games, oh sorry, two two wins, one draw, and even that draw must be noted on how a great result is now, looking at sort of how Western City have played. So I, I think this is a very interesting team. It's a team that I don't think many people would have probably expected to be in the final spots, but at this point, I, I don't see you know if, if they can keep it up. Obviously, like you said, injuries could play a big factor here as the depth behind a Zavada or a Kryev, I do question. You have uh, talented players like Ben Olds, who I think is raring. Ben, ben Olds, can I just, yeah, important you mention him because he's one I'd keep an eye on in terms of like making a bit of a leap this season for them. He's, he's looked really good in his cameos. Um, so I definitely keep an eye on him. Just one thing as well, with someone like Muhammad Altay, what I like what they're doing with him is in possession, he'll often actually drop between the two center backs when they have the ball. And Jack can probably talk to this, but it's actually something Pappas did a little bit at Newcastle. Um, and even sometimes defensively, Muhammad would actually be a center back sometimes. He could cover and play in that role. So again, good coaching. See a player, identify where what he can do, what's his skill set, and find the role that suits it. Jack. Well, I'm actually glad you brought up Mohamed Altay, especially twice in this sentence, because even though he didn't play a maximum amount of minutes in this game, um, it's something that Papist identified in his stint at, at Newcastle Jets. Um, his versatility adds a lot of value to your squad. Um, the way that he can seemingly fit 
into into most systems. He's also a lot more dynamic, I think, going forward than people actually give him credit for. You know, you know, I think that even though you saw him, he was dipping, you know, dropping in between the centre backs. You know, when he does have the ball, he does have the potential to to move it quite quickly, whether it's at its feet or or, or with a decent enough pass. And he's also got that sort of, I want to say dog, but that's just like an you know, just a throwaway term when it you, comes you to would, You would say he's got that dog in him, wouldn't you? I would because, I mean, did you listen to my intro, Christian? All right, you know what I'm about. Uh, <laughs> that, that's my point. <laughs> but he's just, he chases everything. And it's also quite interesting to see the way he moves and also his build. Like, he's this stocky little sort of midfielder and he, it's almost like he's a little bit of a, a nuisance in that midfield. Bit of a, a bit of a that, pitbull sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Oh, Mr. 305, Mama Naote, get that hashtag trending. Um, <laughs> he, he just really sort of, I suppose, gets under the scene of some midfielders. And yes, I think the only reason he was really sort of sort of um, brought off was he was getting drawn into a little bit of the, you know, I would say drama, although anything compared to the original rivalry seems completely tame, but... He did get pulled off because of his yellow card, I believe. I believe he could have stuck it out for a lot longer than he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that once he sort of, I think, got under the skin of Brisbane, started frustrating them when they were trying to move the ball up front, especially, you know, when it was 2-2 and the game was still heavily in the balance, there was a little bit of frustration I saw between just uh, the Phoenix pouncing. I mean, and what they did really well was stretch. Well, yeah, that... Look, yeah, interesting match up because what we should mention. Um, oh, by the way, I might have to put Pitbull music uh, one of his one of his songs as the intro uh, to the podcast after that. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, copyright. Anyway, um, the point is, is um, sorry, what was your point again? I've literally just my point was his versatility for Muhammad Al Tai, and I was going to get into what the Phoenix did really well to break down Brisbane Raw. Before we got oh no 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 that's right that's right by so, Mister Worldwide I don't know yeah <laughs> before before happened. I started talking about Mister Worldwide anyway um <laughs> Jesus Christ um the point I was gonna make was I think the important thing we should mention here is the mistakes that Brisbane made in this game like literally over and over again um you know and I mean Savada's been handed like goals on a platter from Oli Sale now he's been handed one from Tom Aldred uh, I actually tweet I don't know what happened in the off season but everyone owes him something like I, I don't know if there was some kind of meetup. Uh, between our league players that we don't know about, but um, <laughs> well, well, I think that um, Oscar, um, yeah, Zavada has just put on his, you know, a league Tinder that his love language is um acts of service because people are certainly serving up chances to him on a platter from the opposition side. <laughs> well, oh, landed the plane on that one. Man. Just, landed the plane on that one. Oh, <laughs> I got there in the end. Um. <laughs> But it, what I was going to say about, like, also, I think, Italiano and the way he set up this team, and mm. I think that's what Sydney FC did really well in the Australia Cup final, is they stretched Brisbane. And when Brisbane are forced to go really wide in defence, that's when the holes open up. They're not mm. really good at condensing systematically and filling those gaps. I think that, mm. you know, uh, Aloisi's time has been relatively short, so they haven't quite figured it out yet just as um, Jake did say earlier in the podcast. And, and once they do figure it out, they could be a very dangerous team. But it was that that was exposed by Wellington. And it's why the pressure built onto Brisbane. They started making those mistakes. You know, the more you stretch a team that really struggles to reorganize, 
um, in defense when they do get stretched out wide, the 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 more sort of chances they're yeah. going to get. Yeah. Into. So um, what? And and we're talking about Wellington, so I want to stay on that. But what Wellington figured out after about 20 minutes in this game, 15, 20 minutes, which I thought was really smart, was Brisbane like to press so aggressively where they're going to press with their front four. So the two wingers are going to go like onto the fullback straight away. So, and what was really impressive for me is someone like Lucas Kelly Heald at his age was able to do this almost straight away. So what they realized is, okay, if we can get the ball to one of the fullbacks, Wellington this is, quickly and early before the wingers come, then all they've got to do is just swing a ball in behind down the line into the channel and then we can turn Brisbane around that way. And as soon as I started doing that, it was like, honestly, it was like game over. It was, it was actually unbelievable. Um, and the problem Brisbane have, just quickly on them, is that with Coletti and O'Shea, they don't have a dynamic enough pivot for those guys to actually go across and help in scenarios like that and cover those channels. And I don't want to talk about them too much. We'll probably talk about them on another stage. Um so that was really interesting, but that was more like, wow, that's actually really impressive by Wellington to identify that early. And you're right, Jake and Jack, that maybe Italiano watched the tape from the Australia Cup final and he was like, okay, if they start doing this, let's do this and we'll be all right. Um, but I think there's something impressive here about Wellington where they're kind of not getting rattled in games. They're, they're actually, it goes back to what Jake said, they're taking that first kind of 15, 20, maybe they're not the first team to settle, but they feel that they've got a solid enough spine that they'll stay in games long enough that when they need to flick the switch and find the the wrinkle in the other team to to you know uh, get get the goals they need to win the game or or to you know protect the lead or whatever it might be the situation they can do that. So the tactical adaptation was very impressive. And the other thing as well is there were plenty of moments in this game, Ross Aloisi was fuming, where Brisbane had great pressing opportunities. Like, I'm talking four or five players near the ball. And Wellington, this is why I was kind of shocked, Where and with these midfielders that Wellington have, which I don't think are the best kind of players in terms of tight scenarios. We talk about Rufa, Pennington, Altay. They're not really guys you would associate with being press resistant, right? But I felt they were really good at playing out of these tight situations. It was, it was, it was quite impressive. Finn Sermon was excellent. Uh, ball playing as well. He looks like he's gonna he's gonna slot in really solidly for them. Um, so you know, and I think also just quickly, Wellington, like they take a lot of pride in their defensive work. Like it was near the end of the game, like they were four two up at this point. The game was pretty much over. Free kick goes near post. Savada clears it, and like like literally, Alex Paulson is like fist pumping in Savada's face. Like you know, get in there. It's like all right, whoa. Like you know what I mean? Like these guys really pride themselves on defending. Um. I know, I know maybe Jack, you have something to add, but one man who's been quiet throughout this whole discussion, and we know why, because, uh, because, you know, he, he was not convinced by the Wellington Phoenix, uh, very famously, as he got ratioed by a lot of, uh, by a lot of Wellington Phoenix fans online, um, is Matt Olson. So Matt, uh, you, you, you are not going to be able to stay quiet throughout this whole discussion. What's a, what are you seeing from the Knicks at the moment? Uh, where, were you, were you wrong? Were you wrong? Look, I think coming into the season and, and something Jake said is that we have a team that on paper mm. is, is not very strong. And, I, and the doubts reserved about that talking long term, talking big picture, talking expansion also in New Zealand, talking youth pathways, talking all of this kind of stuff. That's still going to be an ongoing issue. Yeah. Well, future. interesting. Let me, let me say it, this because we yeah. are oh, just Tom, Tom, we are talking short term. We are talking on the pitch. We are talking in results basis. We're talking the players on the field. When you look at the midfield three, someone like Nico Pennington, uh, Mo Elte, even Zavada and 
Costa Barbarizos, who are both the attacking players, who are both the veterans in the team. You literally have players that, tactically speaking, can be so adverse and can be so good under a different variety of situations. Mm. They can be good with the ball at their feet. They can be very good in the wide areas, especially someone like Nico Pennington with his pace. And I think what, what you're seeing here is they can adapt, as they did with the way that this, the, the game started out, to be then bouncing back and hitting five goals past a side, right? Ross was just completely exposed throughout. And that adversity in the team and a lot of that, uh, not just the uh, mental resolve of it, but the ability to adapt and to be multifaceted players with a lot that comes together in being in that squad, I'm not sure that they even need depth. They just need to make sure that a lot of that squad stays together as they are because you have so many unknown quantities in how these players perform. Someone like Moel Tay, all things considered, hasn't had that many minutes. Someone like Nico Pennington was only coming off the bench sparingly, but they are guys that have a lot in their locker, right? So it's been superbly picked out by Italiano in recruiting the team, and it's been executed perfectly on a day like this, where, you know, they're able to come up with everything that they have available and able to really adapt in that situation. So it's it's perfectly executed, but I still think on, on paper you have to have your doubts about the team. And well, I, he, I think both, both yeah. can be true. Well, again, not to bring up Sydney FC again, but what's really interesting, just for a second, is Wellington are doing a similar thing where they're going because, and what Matt's touching on, I think it's because of the Auckland thing where they're going, we need to show that there's a pathway for young players. Otherwise, these guys are all going to go to Auckland if they do, if they become the youth feeder, right? So you look at Wellington's bench and it's all, you know, uh, just on the weekend uh, alone, Sam Sutton, Ben Old, Isaac Hughes, Fergus Gillian, Albert Kelly-Hill, Jackson Manuel. I mean, these are all young New Zealand products, um, uh, Kiwi products. So, they're doing something similar. Now, sounds familiar, right? When we're talking about Sydney FC, we were talking about, well, yeah, they're kind of just loading their bench at the moment with a bunch of youngsters. The difference is, is that I think Wellington have got a bit more connection to their academy. Um, but also this starting 11 knows their roles to a T. And I think Matt's actually hit the nail on the head. They're malleable. So they can adapt to different situations and play different systems if need be, adapt to the game state a little bit more. So, their problem is going to be depth, though. It will be because if they get a few injuries, it is going to be a problem. I mean, honestly, like I'll flag it right now. If Savada goes down for like a couple of weeks with an injury, like who is literally going to score the goals in this team? It's very, it's a problem. It is a problem, right? Um, no, I know. Look, I know you've got Costa Barbaros, you've got Bosadar Krayev, but they need players, I think, to play off. If if you understand what I mean, they need a focal point. So um, I'd flag that. But really, you know, starting eleven alone, I think let's not underestimate maybe the importance of having just having a team which um suits the ideas and the principles of the manager um and and that's what they got going at the moment um so yeah and just as opposed to sydney fc where we're just talking about well their starting 11 isn't performing and they don't have the depth to back it up so equals disaster um so yeah very interesting very interesting one to keep an eye on and you know um yeah like Sermon's been impressive. Alex Paulson's been excellent. Lucas Kelly Hill looked good. So, you know, like they are starting to see a little bit of reward from their kind of youth strategy just very early days as well. Um, you know, we mentioned Ben Old as well. So uh it's gonna be a very interesting team, I think, to uh to to keep our eyes on. Um all right, let's uh let's briefly just touch on uh some of the other teams we didn't. Actually, you know what, Matt, we're gonna start with you because you, of course, at this game. Uh now we briefly mentioned Perth last week. Um, I believe I believe Jake actually mentioned them towards the end of the podcast. 
Uh, and we did our deep, deep dive into the Mariners last week, so we won't talk too much about them. But, Matt, what did you see from Perth uh, throughout Alan Stadich's first win as coach against the Mariners? Yeah, there's, there's two very obvious talking points. It's the dropping of Ollie Sale for Cameron Cook, who then went on to be man of the match. Um, and it is the emergence of Stefan Kolakowski after basically an entire season on the sidelines. And in both situations, it's, look, <laughs> it's pretty obvious. You have two guys that are no nonsense, extremely hungry to get out and prove a point. In Steph, you've got someone who's, who can be as clinical as having two substitute appearances where he has in fact scored at yeah. home. Crucial, just as crucial as you can get. Someone who still really buys into the culture of it. Someone that's really, I've got to be honest with you, someone that like the Geo Collies and the, and the Luke Bodnars and a lot of those players in the squad, they're really happy to see the back end of Ruben Zajkovic for recent XYZ. Um, and, you know, you've, you've got someone who's just, he, we saw what an exceptional talent he was. He wasn't far off, um, you know, winning, winning player of the match in a grand final, for goodness sake. So, you know, it just sort of speaks for itself. You need someone like that in the team. You need someone who's hungry. You need someone who cares about playing for the team. And Steph's got all of that in his locker at the moment. That's very, very crucial. With regards, with regards to Cameron Cook, what I found especially interesting, talking to the other journos that I've become very well acquainted with here in WA, is that we, we had a bit of a nickname for him last season, Calamity Cook. If, if he gets in his own head, he can make some really, really crucial mistakes. But he was all about making that position his own. He was all about, you know, this, this guy's played for the old white, so I'm going to show him up. And he's come into that squad, and he's just been perfect. I don't really think he put a foot wrong against a Mariners attack that, you know, scored eight in an AFC Cup game. Um, and don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, yeah, every time he mentions he scored eight in the AFC Cup game, I just think how bad the opposition was. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, but it's it, it's important because there's just this ongoing narrative in the Mariners camp of like, what can we do to be better? Why aren't we scoring goals? What's going to replace the Jason Cummings output? I don't care who the opposition was. If you're scoring eight in a game, you're showing that you can score goals. You're showing that you are an attacking threat. They create the chances. They do a lot. They have Tulio. They have Torres. They have a quality attack. And, and yet Cameron Cook just shut them down at every possible mm. opportunity. And they got, they started getting in their own heads. So right. yeah, I think there's positivity for Perth, but, um, I don't know if you want to get onto big questions for round four. We, we will in a second. Just, anyway. We will in a second. Just, just a couple right. of games, uh, to touch on MacArthur West United. Uh, we could probably do 10 seconds on this, Jack, uh, because it was dull to say the least. Dull, but still with a 90th minute winner, which is just odd. Which was also a terrible goal. <laughs> it was a terrible goal. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think just the only two talking points was how dull it was and how I'm, even though, you know, for the league perspective, I'm not very thankful. But I'm thankful there wasn't many people in the stands to see it uh, because they would have definitely, you know, wasted their money. Um well, you you, know, at least at least you got to see two stunning saves from Tom Hewitt-Bell, who uh, uh, it, yeah. it is goalkeeping and and I think he's been talked about a lot you know from a perspective of uh fantasy you know shout out Jake Hallow for for talking him up on that uh, original front page fantasy podcast you Jake, Jake actually out. did get something right in fantasy okay good uh, well neither of us are doing quite well um I'm assuming Thanks, because Christian. oh well Macklin Freed, cop, <laughs> Macklin Freed cop five goals for you uh Jack so there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 I was hoping you wouldn't remember that anyway <laughs> um and also, I just really like the early sort of season um, form of Yanni Nicolau, who's just mm, come, mm. made the step up from uh, NPL New South Wales into, you know, the, the A-League side at MacArthur. He was at IPA, um during the New South Wales NPL season. I, I've, I've really enjoyed watching him play. Um, I think he's fit in seamlessly um, to the MacArthur side. Um, and yeah, it was dull, but 
it's a really dull instrument this MacArthur team at the moment, like how it's presented, yeah, the yeah, results yeah. have been getting. Yeah. And um I think we you know, whilst it, it may not be fashionable, um people need to just keep an eye out for, for MacArthur this season and look I really sincerely hope for top, top ten lines you wouldn't expect before the season. People need to keep an eye out for MacArthur this season. I mean last season they had the likes of Daniel Arzani and we said keep an eye out for MacArthur did bugger all. <laughs> and yeah. now they've they've lost that and seemingly added a few players who maybe aren't quite as dynamic, mm. however, Raphael's been good, Jed Drew's been good in his spells. I think Valerie Germain in that attack has fitted in quite well. Yes, Valerie. Um, yeah, Valerie, yep. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy McGowan's fuming, anyway. Yeah, he's fuming. I, what, what, what do you want from me? I'm from Newcastle. I don't get exposed to this much culture. <laughs> um, I, no, no, just just going off that real quick with MacArthur before we before we move to, uh, to Newcastle, actually, uh, funnily enough. Um, is I don't think they're going to be very entertaining maybe this year either, but I think they've got, you know, the makings to definitely get a few results. I think the other thing is just on German, you mentioned it. I've, I've got like a thing, I think with foreigners now where it's like, it's like a baseline question. Do you give a shit? That's like, that's like the, it's like the number one question before, before I even watch your football ability. And he actually cares. You can see it. And I think that's, that's really important. You know, you've got to have, if you got your foreign guys buying in, okay, you got something going, he, and he's, he's he's honestly going to be really good for them. I, I can he's see not it. here for a holiday. He's not. He's not. And that's why that's, would that's you holiday in Campbelltown? But like again, you know, he's just not here to to you know fuck about. He's there to play football. He's there to do a job, and he's doing it quite successfully. And I'm 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 very sorry to all the good people out in Campbelltown. I hope I haven't offended anyone, but there's not a lot of beaches out there. Just saying. Jesus Christ. Um. <laughs> Accusing A League referees of bullying, having having a go at people at Campbelltown. Don't tell them where here? I live. All right, no, no. <laughs> Jack. Let's talk about. Uh, let Let's actually talk about uh, that team in Newcastle, uh, the Jets. Um, because just really quickly, interesting result today. Um, another kind of wow. A lot of promise. A lot of interest. Like a lot of players I like. A lot of things I like to see, but no end product, no result. To, to go along with it, right? Yeah, well, I mean, West Sydney Wanderers, to to be fair to them, did come out of the blocks rather slow. And and that first half, you know, really wasn't the making of a squad that, you know, whipped Western United 5-0 in, in the previous round. And, and that's very crucial. I mean, irregardless of what you think of him as a player, you cannot play a high line against Trent Bahaja. You just can't. He's too quick and he's too good at getting off the shoulder. However, uh, since I brought him up, I will touch on it very quickly. Please, please keep it to less than 10 minutes. I will keep it, keep my, you know, classic Trent Bahaja vent less than 10 minutes. But We should do a podcast just dedicated to Trent Bahaja's finishing. You know what we should do? We should go through all the different times Trent Bahaja butchered a chance in like, you know, when it was, when it was like way easier to score and just like analyze and break it down. Anyway, you're talking. Just, just, um, for anyone who didn't catch the game, um, this afternoon, we are recording on Sunday night. Um, please watch his one on one chance, uh, where he managed to chip the keeper and get it out for a goal kick, try and take it back in and still miss, even though it already went out. Because, um, that's the stuff for A League blooper reels. And, you know, whilst it's quite hilarious to see, I, I honestly feel sorry for the guy because, He's such a productive, unproductive player. He, he should really be scoring a lot more goals. And, and I actually think 
this is what's stopping him. I think he honestly has a monkey on his back because there's even, you know, disregard what you think of him as a footballer for his technique or, or all of this stuff. There is no reason that, you know, not just a professional footballer, even a semi-competent footballer should be missing those chances. And I actually just want to take the moment to go, Trent, I'm behind you. Please get some confidence and please, you know, please try and get this monkey off your back because you can honestly be the top scorer of every A-League season for the next 10 years if you can get one thing right. It's only one thing you need in your locker and it's very pertinent. But in terms of the Jets in general, you know, and, and you know, West Sydney Warriors for that fact, you know, the second half was all uh, pretty much Western Sydney apart from a few you know, really good transitional sequences from the Newcastle Jets. And, uh, you know, the Western Sydney Wanderers showed a lot of resilience. You know, they have a lot of quality in their squad and they didn't perform, obviously, the way they would have liked to. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Marco would have got into them at halftime about that, about their slow start. And they came out and, and really, you know, after maybe given, being given a little bit of a gift with Josh Brolente's goal, don't know how much you knew about him scoring, but... Mm. um you know, the the ball into Antonson was really great. The the run from Antonson was pinpoint, you know, to great stay on side. Great little ball by uh, Oscar Priestman, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Delicious little ball. And to stay on side in that situation is honestly really hard to do. So, um, credit to them. And, you know, 2-2, in terms of the balance of the game, you know, honestly could have been more for either side. There was a few chances going either way. But, you know, to... The Jets would be lucky that they got out with a point there and West Sydney Warriors are happy they're not going home on a train wet, you know, with uh, their tails between their legs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that, that's enough before, uh, before um, you know, you, you, <laughs> you direct the message publicly to Trent Bahadra again. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on. Um, maybe, that, maybe that's one of our big questions. Who will frustrate us more in uh, round four, Nikola Miliznic or Trent Bahadra? That that'd be a <laughs> that'd be a good big question. Um. Anyway, let's actually get to that segment. Big questions for round four. Um. So, Matt, why don't you kick us off? Because you you were very keen to get into the big questions about uh, about ten minutes ago before before Jack started his Bahadur rant. So, um, get uh get get us started. What's your big question for round four? Um, a bit of a bit of scheduling. Um, that uh, I've noticed. Um, last night, that being Saturday night. Um, the schedule with the international break poises a particularly difficult challenge and dare I say error defining challenge. Sounds like a paragraph, not a question. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, quick answer. Alan Stadich is screwed in the next month, um, because Glory don't play at home until the 8th of December. So, 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 question. Is Alan Stadich screwed the next month? Answer, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. The ran, the ran isn't needed. That's basically it. They are away to Western Sydney, Brisbane, and oh, I forgot the other one. Have a look. But, um, a lot of road tripping there to, to and from WA with an international break in between. That is going to Wanderers, be Brisbane, taxing. Sydney. Yeah. Wanderers, and, Brisbane, uh, Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, results will, results will be needed. Like, you know, because they've, they've just brought it back at a really crucial time in that win against the Mariners and the momentum's going to be sucked away straight away. So, they ought to really be careful of how they manage themselves over the next uh, over the next month. Yep, definitely, uh, definitely something to look out for. Not a question, um, but that's that's all right. Um, that uh... well, well, no, it's it's a question. It's a well, hold on, it's a question in that how can Alan Stadich and Perth Glory manage? Yeah, okay, okay. Firstly, round four, and then the preceding weeks thereafter. Yeah, yeah. 
having yeah. very little um, game time at home. Yeah, there you go. All right, that's that's a good one, actually. Uh, Jack, what about you? Yes, so my question is, with Adelaide away and the Sydney Derby next, how many points does Sydney FC come away with, if any? Ooh. Because I think that's going to be really fascinating. I think, firstly, uh, Adelaide, obviously, they, 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 they showed even when they sort of have their backs against the wall against victory, they still find a way to get that point there, which really, really impressed me. So, and obviously we've seen their Cooper Stadium form this season. They look very, very, very scary. And as a Sydney side that hasn't picked any points, you know, with the pressure to, you know, maybe go for the game almost, you know, uh, with all this pressure, that probably plays into Adelaide very, very well. So I'm very interested there. And then you have a Sydney derby, which to be fair, at the end of the day, it can go either way. It's a derby. And we've seen in the past, you know, Western Sydney dominated the season all season. And in the finals, Sydney FC turned up. So I, I think mm. that is probably can favor them in a way. But if you, yeah, don't come away with any points there, you have played five games and you've not picked up any points as Sydney FC manager. What happens next with, uh, you know, Steve Corica? That's, it's, it's a big question. Obviously that following week, they do have Perth Glory away, which obviously in Matt's question, you know, um, yeah, we'll, we'll answer almost. Um, that they probably are going to be in a tough situation at that point. But yeah, I'm very, very, very interested to see sort of where Sydney are going to be after those next two games. Because it's a great chance for Corica to either redeem himself in some very tough games or to potentially lose his job. Like if you go yeah, five it's, it's games... A, yeah, it's two extremes. You know, it's, yeah. it's interesting because um, just quickly on that, you know, I guess any Steve Corica apologist, if there are actually any still out there, would say that they've played victory... Uh, City, Adelaide, and Wanderers for, for those four in their first five games, um, which is which is I guess not not the uh, smoothest of starts. So that is a uh, yeah, that's a huge talking point actually. And uh, yeah, maybe in a couple of weeks when we when we come back, we'll have a look and see uh, how how many points they actually took from those two games. Uh, for Steve Corrigan's sake, hopefully it's more than zero. Um, Jack, what about you? Um, my big question. And it's going back to the original rivalry match that we, you know, really was a treat for the eyes. Have we seen a grand, possible grand final preview? And I know this is early days. I know this is very early days. And I want to explain my point. Um, look. Whoa. All right. <laughs> I, I want to explain. I want to explain. Oh, which I know game? <laughs> the original rivalry. Have we seen? The Melbourne Victory Adelaide is talking about. Yeah, Melbourne oh. Victory Adelaide. I, I just want to. Oh Jake, Jake vehemently disagrees. Vehemently disagrees. Well, we, we disagrees. Disagrees. Well, we we can discuss this, you know, off air at another time. I, I want to explain it and give a little bit of context. Um, Sorry, Jake, not to interrupt, but let's just let's just settle the fact that you're talking to a Victorian and a South Australian, heavily in denial about the fact that their local teams could actually <laughs> be playing in a showcase game. That's it's quite astonishing. It, it's quite astonishing. To it's be kinda, honest, it's kind of not helping the helping the takeout, is it? Anyway. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, because, you know... But just, you're going to double down and explain it anyway, so... Well, I am going to double down and explain it anyway, because I feel like, you know, Adelaide's identity, you know, it wasn't lost, but I feel like it's taken sort of a new lease on life, this this promotion of young players and, you know, sort of contradicting the idea that you can't win championship with a bunch of kids running out there. Well, I believe you can because the Central Coast Mariners obviously showed it, you know, last season with their young core of talent. And I think Adelaide United have taken that to a new level because they're presenting youngsters that I mm, think many counter arguments, overload of counter arguments in my head. I know, I know, I know. Just if you let me finish the contextual point. 
all right? It's they they are, in my opinion, all right. In my opinion, this is IMO more exciting than the the youngsters that were presented at Central Coast Mariners and do have, I think, a ceiling that's maybe not higher in the long run, but in terms of providing you know, Adelaide with the necessary tools to win silverware. I think that they do have that potential. And a Melbourne victory that has seemingly rediscovered an identity with bringing in some really crucial, you know, foreigns, a foreign signing in McCash and rediscovering, you know, a bit what, what was lost last season, you know. Um, it didn't help, you know, with the events that transpired, you know, at the Melbourne Derby. And we won't get back into that, but... You know, with the with the terrace coming back, with, the, with a lot of support behind them, and with a team that looks like they're enjoying their football wholeheartedly under a coach like Popovich, you know, is this this season that he gets the monkey off the back and finally, you know, finally completes his his sort of progression in the A leagues? And in my opinion, that's the big question: Have we just seen a preview for the grand final? Because based off a of form, based upon the failures of other teams, I think we have. Um, here's, here's one problem with that. Uh, I asked for a question, big question for round four, not a big question for the season. Well, I'm not very good at reading, so yeah, that's not listing. I'm not, I'm not going to be on round four. I won't be on here for another six months. I'm going to make this oh, last. Oh, so he, you're like, you're like, oh, it's like a mic drop moment. Yeah, right. This is okay. a mic drop. I'm leaving the room. <laughs> <laughs> I've oh, left man. the chat. Uh, you know what? You know what? Screw you. I'm going to clip that and, and post it on. <laughs> yeah, it's just saying Jack does not listen and therefore will not be invited on any No, no, no. no. Jack, Jack thinks that Victoria and Adelaide will be the grand final this year. Uh, even though, even though, <laughs> though Victorian and South Australian both disagree with him. Um, anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, that's, yeah. Well, I was not expecting to get, uh, get into that. Um, but <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. It's been, uh, it's been, as always, another eventful, uh, eventful episode of the, uh, of the front page football podcast. Uh, make sure you're following us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, threads, LinkedIn, uh, follow us on Spotify, leave us feedback, let us know how ridiculous you think Jack's take is. Let us know if we should start using pitbull music at the start of the podcast. Um, uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and anything else, uh, let us know how wrong that was about the Phoenix. If you do feel he was really wrong about the Phoenix. Um, and yeah, just, just really any, any kind of shithousery that you want to leave in the comment section, um, on social media or, uh, on the comments on Spotify, then by all means do so. Um, you know, maybe we might even start segments where we just go through the comments and, uh, and, uh, and have a bit of a laugh. That'd be, that'd be good too. So, yeah, no, always, always looking for any feedback and commentary. So let us know. Uh, and the website, of course, frontpagefootball.net. Boys, uh, I'll open the floor. Anything to add before we, uh, before we wrap it up? Sorry, I swore to Cody and Antonis like two and a half hours ago. It really does feel like two and a half hours ago. Sorry for taking front page football worldwide. I didn't mean to throw a five this thing. Jake? And, and, and I'm going to say to Jack, look, sometimes you can make a call like Matt's that gets a bit of backlash and you know turns out to be a bit embarrassing. Or you can make a call like mine where I basically said, Rado, you could be in trouble here. And he was in trouble, in fact. So the call of victory <laughs> in Adelaide, we- we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. Can we briefly talk about how my big question last week was who was under the most pressure? Rado Vitisic, Steve Corey, or Mark Jackson? And th- two, the day after the podcast is released, Rado Vitisic got sacked. And I was like, well, we, we're not 
going to, I guess, see how that question plays out. I'm we? making my question a long jeopardy one, all right? I'm not getting snuffed out by the next round, all right? I'm making sure this podcast makes it to air and make sure there's a little bit of intrigue. Jack, you know this is the conclusion to the podcast and you're still chatting shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, listen, look, look back, look back, look back. You redeemed yourself today. You gave Wellington props. So I, I, I liked you sort of came around on them a little bit and you raised some fair points on why to be hesitant of them. So I, 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 I respect that. But yes, that was, it was the, the, the backlash was pretty true. Christian, can mm. you end the podcast? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I am. I am. I am. This is getting, we're all tired. It's late on Sunday night. It's actually quarter past 10 where I am. So let's, let's wrap this up before we start talking more like rubbish. Um, all right. That's been another episode of the Front Page Football Podcast. Like I said, leave your comments. Uh, chuck us a review as well. Um, we, we'd be very interested to see what you think after that interesting two minutes that just unfolded. Um, but until next time, it's bye for now.